you have your Bibles with you, we'll be in Matthew 6 this morning. We made it, a full chapter. Took us about five weeks, but we made it. Matthew 6 this morning, it's going to be a little bit of a longer reading, but you'll see why here in a few moments. We'll be in verses 1 through 18 this morning. Matthew 6, 1 through 18. If you found your spot, would you please stand for the reading of Christ's Word? May you hear the Word of Christ this morning. When you are practicing your piety, mind you don't do it with an eye on the audience. Otherwise, you won't have any reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give money to the poor, don't sound a trumpet in front of you. That's what people do when they're just play-acting in the synagogues and in the streets. They do it so other people will be impressed at them. I'm telling you to the truth. They've received their full reward. No, when you give money, don't let your left hand have any idea what your right hand is up to. That way your giving will be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will repay you. When you pray, you mustn't be like the play actors. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the street corners so that people will notice them. I'm telling you the truth. They will receive their reward in full. No, when you pray, go into your own room, shut the door, and pray to the Father there in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. When you pray, don't pile up a jumbling heap of words. That's what the Gentiles do. They reckon that what they, the more that they say, they're more likely to be heard. So don't be like them. You see, your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yes, if you forgive people the wrong they have done, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you what you have done wrong. And when you fast, don't be gloomy like the play actors. They make their faces quite unrecognizable so that everyone can see their fasting. I'm telling you the truth. They have received their full reward. No, when you fast, tidy your hair and beard the way you normally do and wash your face so that others won't notice your fasting except your father privately. Then your father who sees in private will repay you. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for the gift of Your Word this morning. We thank You for the opportunity to read from it and the wells of riches and grace that spring from it. And so, Lord, at this time, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts so that we might understand the riches and may we drink deeply from these riches. And so, Father, we ask that you would open your ears of your church, that you would be able to give us an understanding that surpasses all. And so, Father, lean into us as we lean into you during this time. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen. I can't tell you the last time I went to a play. Some of you... Uh, might have been to a play in the past couple of months. 
And in fact, I can call him out for it because he's not here. Um, so he'll hear this through the podcast if he listens later. But Blake loves to go to plays. In fact, he has talked about several of the plays that he's attended over the years. But I can't tell you the last one I went to. It's probably been 15 years since I was in college. Regardless, I think we all know when someone is pretending, don't we? We know when somebody's putting on a mask and they can conceal who they are or act as if there's someone that they're not. And that's really the key of any successful acting role is when you put on a face and people are able to not really see you, but they see the character that you're playing. I might even compare this to Tom Hanks, his new role in Mr. Rogers. When you watch Tom Hanks, you don't really see Tom Hanks, do you? You see the character he's portraying. We could even say that you see through Tom Hanks and you see Mr. Rogers in what and how he speaks and how he moves, how he even smiles, and the tenderness that he's able to show in that character. That's a quality of a good actor. What we don't see is who they truly are because of the performances that they're putting on. We see through them and the characters that they're putting on. But church, here's the thing. That's also the characteristics of a good hypocrite too, isn't it? They're putting on a show. They're putting on a mask and they conceal their gross, maybe even manipulative intentions. They conceal their character. And if you were to do a little research today, and if you went to Google and you looked up the word hypocrite and you started going down uh, the internet wormhole, you know what you would discover? That that word has its roots in the Greek theater. Hypocrite has its roots in the Greek theater. A hypocrite, if we could define it, is someone who imitates someone else in speech and mannerisms. That's just a simple definition. Someone who imitates someone else in speech and in mannerisms. It's mean, it means to play a part. It's what we call in our modern day language, actors. They are putting on a mask. And as we just read a second ago, Jesus has plenty to say about, quote, play actors. That's why I love this particular translation of that word, play actors. When Matthew looks at that word that Jesus uses, it is the Greek word hypocriti. It's where we get the word hypocrite. You can hear it, hypocriti. They are play actors. And these are, we could say, religious wannabes. They are spiritual actors whose intentions are not aligned to their actions. Let me read that one more time. Their intentions, as spiritual actors, their intentions are not aligned to their actions. Their, uh, their intentions are to be seen, and they are to be noticed, and the point is to pat their own backs because of what they're doing. Oh, look how spiritual that man is, him praying there in the street corner. It's meant to be a pat on their own back of what they're doing. But Jesus reads right through such religious pomp, doesn't he? 
He can pick it up. He can sniff it out. He reads right through it and he calls many people out on this. Their actions might seem extremely spiritual, but but their hearts have far different and even evil intentions. You've probably caught it by now because this has sort of been the theme of the Sermon on the Mount for the past five weeks. Intentions matter for Jesus, but actions matter as well. It's not that He's separating the two, but He's wanting us to really pay close attention to both. Intentions matter and actions matter. And Lord willing, I think this is what Jesus is after, is that godly intentions breathe life into godly actions. Godly intentions breathe life into godly actions. So let's look back at verses 1-4 through with me. The hypocrisy, the play acting that Jesus confronts here is acts of generosity. That's His first stop in the number of things that He's about to bring out. His first stop, acts of generosity. He gives an illustration of what uh, when you are approached with an opportunity to be generous, to give to the less fortunate. This could be giving to the hungry, to the homeless, the poor. This could be giving to a single and a tired mother. It could be given to a family that is truly on its last leg and in the lowest times of the chapter of their lives. Regardless of who it might be, Jesus says, when you give money, don't sound a trumpet to get everyone's attention. The Message Bible interprets this phrase like this, it might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. Jesus' point is that you're performing more than just the people around you. You're performing before the very face of God, and guess what? He's not happy and He's not applauding. Your performances are evil and manipulative to those who are around you. And you could definitely say that this is a sharp dagger to a very puffed up heart. He's trying to read right through their intentions and get to the heart. And I think we can all confess this, is that there have been many times in our life, in our spiritual walk, where we have wanted to get the applause of our friends, haven't we? Where we've done something and wanted a congratulations for what we've done. Church, this is where Jesus calls us to step back and to really think about the intentions that we have as we give, as we pray, as we do a number of other things. What are your intentions in what you do? Yes, Jesus has sharp and corrective words for me. He has plenty of sharp and corrective words for His church. But notice what He does in verses 3 and 4. His correction is certainly gentle. Look what He says. When you give money, don't let your left hand have any idea what your right hand is up to. That way, your giving will be in secret as your Father will see and He will repay you. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What is He saying? It's an idiom. It's an expression in His day which means that the type or the way of giving that you give, let it be generous, but let it be quiet. Let it be generous, but let it be quiet. 
It's fine to give charitable donations. Give freely. But don't go around clanging your cymbal and blowing your trumpet saying, look and see what I have done. There's no reason to publicize those good works. Your Father sees it. And as soon as we start blowing trumpets of our generosity, we're no different from the spiritual actors that Jesus is addressing and talking to in His day. We become modern-day hypocrites. We are the play actors whose intentions don't match our actions. We're only acting in order to be seen. But notice, he adds another example that he wants to confront, and that is of praying. Look at verses 5-8 through eight with me. Again, he uses the same word, play acting, hypocrite. But notice what these actors are doing. They are standing outside of the synagogues and on the street corners before all of the public so that others, Jesus says, will notice them. They're out in the streets. They're in the most public of places. Their churches in the day, the synagogues, praying these wonderful prayers in order to be seen. He's wanting, again, for His people, His followers, to check their motives their intentions. It's not if you pray. Notice that? When you pray. It's, it's an understanding and assumption that when you pray, this is what I'm guiding you into. And He's wanting His followers to pray very intentionally. First, you pray simply. Don't hoist a bunch of grand theological words. God doesn't care. He wants a simple heart, a broken and contrite heart where we bring ourselves before the very presence of the Father. He doesn't care if you know that 13-letter word. Simply put what you're saying before the Father. Also, pray intentionally. What's the purpose of why you pray? In order to commune, in order to lean into your Father. Pray simply. Pray intentionally. But notice what he says in his prayer. I wish we had time just to spend a couple of weeks in the Lord's Prayer. We don't. But this is a synopsis. This is just the summary of what he's saying. As you lift yourself up to the Father who is in heaven, remember that this Father is holy and whose kingdom will and his kingdom's will is to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray, he says, that you're given eyes to see even daily bread as gifts from this heavenly Father. His loving hands gives. Also, when you pray, ask your Father to forgive you. How you treat people, how you rebel and run away from this Father, away from His goodness and His care. Pray for this Father to forgive you and how you overlook the enormous abundances He gives you. Pray when you, when you ask the Father to hear your prayers, do not see that you have no debt at all because you also have a grand debt to Him. Don't slap Him in the face. As you approach the Father, ask Him to give you strength and courage to forgive. As you ask the Father to forgive you, you also forgive the frequent wrongs and abuses 
the dishonesties and the wrongdoing others have committed against you. Why in the world would Jesus say this? Because as children, as disciples of this Father, we are to practice our Father's ceaseless forgiveness as well. We are to be wildly compassionate in our love as He is compassionate and generous in that love. And as He ends the prayer, He reminds us to demonstrate this Father's selfless and overly generous love even when we come face to face with evil. Right? When you even face the evil, the evil one, be sure to carry with you and demonstrate this Father's selfless love. But I think we need to step back a second and pause and really think through what it is, how we can wrestle with the life that Jesus is calling us into because it is not a completely easy task, is it? It might be filled with rest because the Father gives us rest, but it doesn't mean that it's always an easy task, an easy way. See that part of Jesus' prayer where He talks about your, your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. Church, you and I, we have been tempted to live out a cubbyhole faith. Remember cubby holes? You go into school, you got your backpack, you got your lunch, and you go into your cubby hole, and what do you do? You put all your stuff right there in your cubby hole. No, 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 don't put your cubby hole or your stuff in somebody else's cubby hole, then there'll be a mistake. Somebody gets somebody else's lunch and there's just grand confusion, right? We've been tempted to think that we are supposed to live out this cubby hole faith. What I mean by this is this. We're told that we shouldn't allow our faith to spill into the public square. We're told that our faith shouldn't be presented or demonstrated during our work hours. We're told sometimes that we shouldn't invite a neighbor, a stranger, or a friend into the very ways of Jesus. We're told to stay in our cubbyhole. And that's it. Don't go beyond those parameters. Stay in your cubbyhole faith. But, I hope you hear that transition clearly, but the framework and the blueprint that we find in the Scriptures, the allegiance you have to Christ as King has no boundaries. You don't find boundaries here. It's not like you present this faith here only at church and then you go home and you live a different life. It's not like you live that life of faith only in your home and when you go into your work, it's somehow separated. You don't put those faith in that cubbyhole. Church, if there's one thing that I could persuade you as pastor over is this. Your faith goes wherever you go. Your faith goes wherever you go. And we are to present that faith regardless of where we're called to for that moment and that day. To be able to radiate God's coming kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, it is to embody it. It is to embody this generous faith, to be able to embody a praying faith to whomever and wherever Christ has called us to. It's not just for the church. It's for every single parameter and arena of the entirety of your life. But we're also told to embody this kingdom 
on earth as it is in heaven, even in our forgiving. Look with me in verses 14 and 15. Jesus says this, Yes, if you forgive people the wrong that they have done, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you what you have done wrong. Let me say this. He's not spiritualizing forgiveness. As I saw last night in uh, one of those Dateline stories, is this uh, woman had killed one of her closest friends, and the father who was talking about the son who had been killed, they asked him, well, have you forgiven her? And he said, yes, I have. I've forgiven her in my heart. I think that's a part of forgiveness. But the, Jesus, the, the, the point that Jesus is bringing out is a much deeper level of forgiveness that he's talking about. In other words, Jesus welcomes us as his followers to do this, to practice a very concrete a very one-on-one, personal, and embracing forgiveness. Let me see if I can tease that out more. It's a forgiveness where you have to actually look into your enemy's eyes and say, I forgive you. Where we have to actually sit down with our spouses and say, I am sorry for the words that I chose. I am deeply sorry for what I said. Or even modeling this for our children where we sit down with our kids and say, Daddy didn't choose the best of words. I'm sorry. That's the type of forgiveness that Jesus is talking about. Where we make it concrete and tangible. Where we look across from people and we understand that this forgiveness that we've been given and we demonstrate it in the most concrete of ways. C.S. Lewis captures this forgiveness in this quote. To be Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. To be Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. We might hear in different ways these types of phrases. Forgiveness is to forget. I'm not sure that that's the blueprint that we find in Scripture. Forgiveness is not a forgetting. God doesn't forget our brokenness and our sin. Forgiveness is not an excusing of immoral actions and choices. He's not excusing us. Instead, as Lewis says... Forgiveness means we meet with the person to name the inexcusable. And here's the part of forgiveness. And you pardon him or her for those wrongs. Why in the world is that the case? Because that's the gospel displayed. Think of this. Father sends his son to meet with his people and then to live with them to minister them, to shepherd them. He is with a people, and guess what? He names the wrongs, the inexcusable in us. But He doesn't stop there. He doesn't come across and just start naming wrongs and say, all right, I'm out of here. He doesn't. That wouldn't be gospel. That wouldn't be good news. Instead, He pardons us through His death and His resurrection And now as the one who is king over all things. 
Forgiveness must be practiced by us as the church in the most earthly, in the most tangible ways in which we fail to forgive every single day. Jesus says that our Heavenly Father, unfortunately, won't forgive us a very specific ways in which we don't forgive others. It's like the great debtor. Well, he owes five and he owes 50,000. Well, which one is the one that takes most seriously the debt forgiven? Of course, the one who owed 50,000. We understand that the greatest inexcusable in us has been forgiven, so we live out that kind of forgiveness as well in forgiving the inexcusable in others. And last, Jesus discusses the authenticity of fasting. Look with me in verses 16 through 18. When you fast, don't be gloomy like the play actors. They make their faces quite unrecognizable so that everyone can see their fasting. I'm telling you the truth, he says. They have received their reward in full. No, when you fast, tidy your hair and beard in the way you normally do. Wash your face so that others won't notice your fasting except your father privately. Now, this is a topic we don't typically talk about as Southern Baptists, do we? We like the feasts. The fasting is much more difficult. We want the feasts. But notice Jesus' language, just like He said in prayer, when you pray. Again, He's not saying if you fast. He's assuming when you fast. He's assuming that this should be as common to our daily spiritual, assuming weekly spiritual life as feasting or even praying. He assumes that fasting is normal for His followers. And here's the thing, church. When we fast, what we're doing is this. We are disciplining our bodies. We're disciplining them to refocus our wills, our minds. We're refocusing our stomachs and our desires and even our hungers. Where? To God alone. Because we realize I would love to go grab that cheeseburger right now. But in fasting, we are refocusing all of our hungers and realizing that God alone is the one that can bring forth the full feast. He is the one whom our long, hearts long for. Let me say it this way. We fast in order to feast on God's Word. We don't fast to impress others, as Jesus warns in these verses. Instead, we fast in order to fellowship with God. Or as Richard Foster, the author, says this, Prayer draws us closer to the heart of God. Fasting centers us on God. More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us, doesn't it? When we fast, it truly does show us what our hearts are after and really, in some ways, what control us. And so what we must not allow is our false or broken intentions to control us. Or else we become nothing more than modern day play actors. So let's land the plane. When we began this, uh, this year of 2020 in that first sermon, I told you this, that I suspected that there was this word that kept creeping up in my own prayer life. What does it look like for Hickory Grove to have a life of faith in 2020? 
And that word that kept coming up was intentional or intentionality. And as you've likely picked up so far, Jesus has plenty to say about intentionality in these verses this morning. But He's also said plenty about intentionality in Matthew 5 as well. But He's addressing spiritual play acting. Religious performances that are done before the public eye. Like our giving. Like our praying, our forgiving, and even our fasting. So let me connect some extremely important and also practical points for us this morning. Most of our friends, most of our neighbors can discern whether we're acting or authentic in our faith. They can pick up on that. They can pick up on whether we're truly acting this or we're authentic with what we're saying and what we're doing. And so here's what I'd suggest for us as Hickory Grove. How in the world can we live out an authentic faith and not a faith of play acting? Here's some opportunities, I think, for us to show our neighbors and our friends, our coworkers, our families, the authenticity of our faith wherever Christ calls us to daily. First, ask this question, what are the needs of your neighbor? What are the needs, I mean the genuine needs of your neighbor? And I think I'm going to try to throw that out, that word neighbor, in the way that Jesus understands neighbor. Not just the person who lives beside you, but anyone who is in need of help. What are the needs of your neighbor? Second, is your neighbor hurting? If you know somebody who's hurting emotionally, physically, financially, spiritually, how in the world can we pray for them? And I'm not saying just pray for them, but if we're given the opportunity to actually sit down with them and pray for them in the most concrete of ways that Jesus addressed already. Third, how has your neighbor hurt you? How has your family member hurt you? How has that stranger hurt you? How has that coworker hurt you? Or better, how have you hurt your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your spouse? Go to him or her. Go to them and seek forgiveness and reconciliation. That's that eye-to-eye that Jesus is talking about as we live out a reconciliation that we find first displayed in his own life. And fourth, if in any of these things that I've just mentioned, that we're not sure how to meet our neighbor's needs, our coworkers' needs, our family's needs, or pains, or whatever it might be, here's one word for you. Fast. Fast. Fast for spiritual discernment. Ask Christ to give you understanding and wisdom. That's one of the very purposes of fasting in and of itself is to intentionally seek the will of the Father be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus invites His people to a way of divine authenticity. A way, as I said at the beginning, where we align our intentions with our actions. That there's these godly intentions that breathe life into godly actions. And that we understand that our inward love for God actually spills out to our outward love of our neighbor. 
And let us not be a people of vain performances that Jesus picks up on, that we're performing for this audience, because as that translation said, God's not applauding. Instead, let us be a people who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good so that we can express and demonstrate with a rich authenticity what others desire truly, and that they truly want to taste and see that the Lord is good too. And as we said at the beginning of this sermon, let me ask it in this way. In the next movie that you watch, in the next story that you read, do you catch yourself getting so absorbed in that movie and story that you forget who you're looking at? Mine was Tom Hanks. I see Mr. Rogers. I see through him this character, this real-life person, Mr. Rogers. I think that's the prayer for us as Hickory Grove, is that when we pray for our neighbors and our co-workers and our families and our friends, that we would be so caught up in the kingdom intentions and the kingdom actions that Jesus displays here that other people forget who they're looking at when they see us. That they don't see Anne or Earl or George or Sherry They don't see PJ, but they see Christ being displayed through us. They're caught up in this grand redemption that God is displaying through His church. How can we be a people of divine authenticity in our world? Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We're grateful for the opportunity to be able to lean into Your Word this morning because we certainly know that the promise that you made to us is that as we lean into you, you are there leaning back into us. You embrace us. And if there's a one beautiful picture that we found in the Scriptures this morning, is this, is that Christ, you have called us to run away and to rebel from our inauthenticity. That we get caught up in performing these plays that have nothing to do with your kingdom. And Father, forgive us when we do this. We're deeply sorry for when we do this. Instead, in our giving, in our praying, in our fasting, Lord, may you teach us what it means to truly live out an authentic faith where you have called us to be and demonstrate the very ways of Christ, and that when the world looks at Hickory Grove, that they don't see us, but rather that they see this Jesus, that we desire to display Him in our intentions, in our actions. So Father, give Your church wisdom to do and to display these very things. We offer these things in His name. Amen.